Good evening and welcome to our Champaign City Council study session for Tuesday, October 12th, 2021. Madam Mayor, I move that we approve the minutes of the September 14th, 2021 regular study session. Second. Any discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. City Manager. Thank you, Your Honor. This evening on our study session agenda, we have two topics. The first topic is a discussion of a new proposed neighborhood and community safety initiative called the Neighborhood Ambassadors Program. And the second item on the agenda will be a discussion of Bristol Place Phase 2. And so for the first item, I'm going to turn it over to Neighborhood Services Director Carrie Wyman. Thank you, City Manager, and good evening, City Council. Tonight, our new neighborhood relations manager, John Ruffin, will share information on a proposed community response model that's focused on engagement and education as part of our community's response to gun violence and public safety concerns. The Neighborhood Ambassadors pilot program responds to two key city council goals, keep our communities safe and our city invest to support its diverse neighborhoods. These goals were established by council during the 2019 to 2021 goal setting process. And you recently reaffirmed these goals in your most recent council goal setting process to address community violence and neighborhood quality of life issues. And by affirming your council commitments towards gun violence, you made this one of your three priorities with the American Rescue Act funding. John Ruffin will now present the current concerns, our research and the proposed new neighborhood ambassadors model. Good evening, Council. Over the last couple of years, our community has seen a significant increase in behavior concerns, criminal activity, and gun violence that has negatively impacted quality of life in neighborhoods throughout the city. This table illustrates the increase in gun violence over the past three years with increases in confirmed shooting events, gun violence over the shooting events, shooting victims, and homicides. This trend has continued at an alarming rate and unfortunately, the number of homicides has increased by two since this table was prepared. When comparing the same period of 2021 to 2020, we see a 45% increase in confirmed shooting incidents and 41% increase in shooting victims. In addition to addressing gun violence, police are also tasked with responding to issues related to neighbors without addresses, neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor disputes, nuisance complaints such as loud music, illegally parked cars and fireworks, and finally behavior concerns ranging from public consumption of alcohol to spontaneous large gatherings in parking lots. To support Champaign Police, the city has deployed significant resources from various departments and implemented creative solutions throughout the community to respond to increased calls for service and complaints related to criminal and nuisance behavior that impact neighborhood stability for residents and businesses. Based on feedback generated at police listening sessions in 2020, community members expressed a desire for proactive and consistent community engagement in neighborhoods throughout the city. Community members also advocated for consideration of alternative community response models. The proposed Neighborhood Ambassadors Program builds on the input of community members and early internal discussions have included additional areas where neighborhood ambassadors could support the police in providing an initial response. Another recently announced change is the return of the district command staff model. 
The neighborhood ambassadors will work closely with command staff and patrol officers to rebuild trust and problem solve around issues that impact quality of life in neighborhoods throughout the city. The Neighborhood Services Department is an active participant in internal weekly community safety and wellness committee meetings facilitated by Deputy City Manager Joan Walls to bring together city departments to develop coordinated responses to gun violence and public safety concerns, engaging both internal resources and external partners. To support efforts undertaken by the Community Coalition, the Neighborhood Services Department works closely with and supports community stakeholder groups, including the Community Violence Response Task Force, CU Trauma and Resilience Initiative, and Goal Getters, which is a youth mentorship program. To respond to recurring problems and ongoing challenges to quality of life in specific areas, we have developed an internal collaboration model. This model has been very effective in engaging large apartment communities and coordinating our expanded community engagement efforts. The downtown neighborhood is foundational to our community and is the heart of our, the downtown neighborhood is the heart of our community and foundational to community stability and economic health. Downtown residents and businesses have been very vocal about the increased crime, nuisance, and behavior concerns that have negatively impacted business health, quality of life, and public safety. Over the last couple of years, especially on Friday and Saturday nights, we have seen an increase in large crowds and spontaneous gatherings in parking lots, coupled with nuisance and behavior issues. Downtown residents and businesses have advocated strongly for an increased public safety presence in the area. The downtown area has experienced an increasing number of violent crime calls over the last three years. Challenges to downtown vitality were the impetus for developing an alternative first contact model, particularly as staff conducted some informal walking tours during summer nights in, during 2021. In response to the increased gun violence and the growing sense of despair in neighborhoods throughout the city, the Neighborhood Services Department, in partnership with the Office of Equity, Community, and Human Rights, led efforts to develop and implement the Loving You Tour in collaboration with Dr. Patterson and the Hip Hop Express. The goal of the tour was to engage neighborhoods impacted by gun violence by being present and providing information and resources. A secondary goal was to build trust with community members by supporting targeted community organizing and problem solving efforts, which in turn help address neighborhood-centric quality of life issues. The response to this initiative was overwhelmingly positive and reaffirmed our commitment to engagement as a tool for rebuilding trust and community unity. To address the unprecedented levels of gun violence, the growing community and growing community safety concerns in our city, staff began researching alternative community response models. We identified both volunteer and paid community response models. The Evanston Community Ambassador Program operates in Evanston, Illinois, home to Northwestern University in a city similarly sized to Champaign. The Evanston program relies on volunteers 18 years or older who apply to participate and 
complete volunteer training in the areas of livable communities and community engagement. After successful completion of the volunteer training, they are assigned to designated activities or events based on skills, ability, and or the city's needs. The Chicago Police Initiative Neighborhood Action Program operated by the Chicago Police relies on community volunteers to assist police district commanders in developing neighborhood-based crime and safety initiatives, in addition to serving as initial contacts between community and police. Key findings from the research for the volunteer response models include relying on civic spirit of volunteers to support organizational goals, limited support as volunteers are available, and limited accountability to the organization. During our research, we were able to identify two local paid models that are currently operating in our community. The University of Illinois Student Patrol is operated by the University of Illinois Police Department. The program has been operated for more than two decades. Students are hired and trained to patrol campus and report crimes. They provide additional support at major events on campus, including sporting events and concerts. The student patrol is utilized during the fall and spring semesters, approximately 9 to 3 p.m., seven days a week. The new Park Ambassadors program with the Champaign Park District began over the spring and summer of 2021. Initial feedback is that the program was very helpful to park staff in addressing maintenance, and behavior issues by providing a highly visible uniform presence in the parks. Key findings from the paid models include staff being accountable while providing an extra layer of support for first responders. The programs can address low level issues that might reduce calls for service as they are strategically based, easily identifiable organizational staff providing first contact engagement. The San Francisco Community Ambassador Program is the gold standard for these type of alternative response models. This program was started as a pilot program in 2010 and due to its success has been expanded to different neighborhoods and departments within the city of San Francisco. The program is designed as a first contact model addressing public safety and community engagement in key commercial districts and neighborhoods throughout the city. I would like to share a brief promotional video from the San Francisco program to give you an overview of their program. In developing the Neighborhood Ambassador Program, we will utilize the San Francisco model as a template for the Champaign Neighborhood Ambassador Program. Ambassadors program started in the Bayview. There was a problem in 2010 that escalated to a point where the community just wasn't going to take it anymore. Um, the city couldn't do this by itself without the cooperation of our community partners. We're talking about CBOs, uh, the police department, you know, everyday people on the street, people that want to see their streets and neighborhoods safe and clean. When we started the Community Ambassadors Program, the emphasis really was on non-uniform safety presence. So people know that uh, they can rely on 
uh, somebody that will help them, assist them to get off and on the bus, get safe passage to their houses. They're residents of the community. So the ambassadors play such an important role because they are trusted individuals. They are the bridge between the community and the city. Our main role is to promote safety and to engage the community. So we report any crime in the street. Uh, we assist merchant, tourists, homeless. If they needed any help, we inform the community about the resources that the city offer for the San Francisco residents. We get the opportunity to keep the streets looking clean. And so if there's graffiti, if there are just drug paraphernalia, if there is anything that is unsafe, we report it to the proper officials and they get the individuals out there to take care of the problem. Even getting an individual into a situation where they're trying to get off drugs or they're trying to get off alcohol, we do point them in the direction to go to a particular place where they might, you know, get the assistance or the help they need. And it's not just about giving information, it's not just about pointing them in the right direction, it's about understanding who they are so that you know what they're dealing with, how to deal with them, and then get them the information needed in order to make their lives better. Based on research and staff analysis, we are recommending a pilot program to begin operation in spring 2022. The proposed pilot program would operate year-round and be available to respond citywide. Staff is proposing the use of American Rescue Plan Act funds. Throughout the pilot program period, staff would regularly assess and adjust the program as needed and provide council and community with regular updates on, a, on the program's effectiveness. The Neighborhood Ambassador Program is designed as a first contact engagement model focused on educating residents and visitors about community-based resources and services available to assist with unexpected issues or concerns. The neighborhood ambassadors will be focused on crime prevention via ed engagement, education, de-escalation, and intervention techniques. The neighborhood ambassadors will support engagement and organizing efforts of our 43 registered neighborhood groups the neighborhood ambassadors will be deployed for targeted engagement with input from the Community Safety and Wellness Committee and work with other departments to support organizational outreach and engagement priorities. The pilot neighborhood ambassador program will be part of the neighborhood services department. To implement the program, the neighborhood relations manager will, will recruit, hire, and train five new full-time engagement professionals. A shift supervisor will be hired to act as team lead and provide supervision for ambassadors during the evening shift. Four neighborhood ambassadors will be hired to provide street outreach, community organizing, business support, and community engagement support to registered groups, other city departments, and external partners. This program is being recommended to City Council as part of the response to the increased community violence that has been exacerbated during the COVID-19 pandemic. The total cost estimate for this pilot program is just under $1.2 million. This period is approximately 34 months or spring 2022 through December 2024. Funding for this pilot neighborhood ambassadors program is one-time funding to continue the program on a recurring basis beyond the pilot would require identifying a sufficient recurring funding source. 
if council supports the creation of the program, a staffing and salary ordinance and budget amendment will be brought back to council in February 2022 for the spring 2022 implementation period. Operating between approximately 1 p.m. to 12 midnight, Tuesday through Saturday year-round, the new program will create a highly visible, city-branded, uniform presence in neighborhoods throughout the city, promoting positive interactions and engagement with city personnel. Additional staff capacity will enable us to proactively and consistently engage with registered neighborhood groups to support community building and organizing efforts and provide support to other departments to supplement community engagement and outreach efforts. This team will also be able to collaborate with community partners to implement neighborhood-based problem solving or engagement opportunities. Working with the Community Safety and Wellness Committee, the new team will be strategically deployed throughout the community to provide targeted support to special events, neighborhoods impacted by gun violence or nuisance behavior, and provide additional eyes and ears on the streets to augment police efforts. To implement targeted community engagement, the Neighborhood Ambassador Team will work with internal and external stakeholders to identify key areas of safety concerns where the team can assist by being present. Each year, the team will work closely with the neighborhood groups, key community stakeholders, and internal departments to provide neighborhood-based support and problem solving to assist with achieving a higher level of community safety and wellness. Throughout the pilot period, staff will work closely with first responders to analyze calls for service to note any trends or improvements that could be addressed via increased community engagement. As we build this community response model, we rely on support of both internal and external stakeholders. We will work closely with other departments to support their community engagement and outreach efforts. To amplify the work of our 43 registered groups, we will proactively and consistently promote and support neighborhood-based engagement efforts. In order to support and augment existing gun violence reduction efforts, we will work closely with the community partners to implement community engagement initiatives. This concludes my presentation. At this time, the team is happy to answer any technical questions and would like counsel to consider alternative one, direct staff to proceed with actions necessary to launch a pilot neighborhood ambassadors program by spring 2022 using American Rescue Plan Act funding. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any technical questions? All right, do you two, oh, go ahead. Councilmember Pianfetti. Thank you for your presentation. Um, my question was with the San Francisco model do you have a sense of how long it took to do the training? Like what, um, it, from the time it took to hire the individuals, how long it was projected to take the training to feel comfortable to have them out on the street doing the roles that you have in mind for them? Based on some of the preliminary research, they did an 80-hour training period for their, their um new ambassadors to get them out on the street. Councilmember Gladney. 
Yes, what, um, what are the safety protocols for this type of position? I mean, so has there been any incidents in these types of positions across the country of people being harmed while, while doing this or? I, someone did send me something recently, um, I think the, from Metcad 911, an incident out in the Southwest. So there's one incident that I'm aware of, but I'm not, in the other programs that we've researched, I'm not aware of any. Um, I think for us, uh, in our communications with Metcad 911, with our police department, it's safety first. And so um, if that'll be part of the training, if there's any deployment and you're in an area that seems to be going a little sideways, we're gonna remove ourselves immediately just as our code team does currently. Um, so they will not be engaging if there's an active situation happening. They're, the message will be loud that you need to vacate quickly because um, that's not going to be our role. Thank you. Anyone else? All right, do you two wanna get up before we have public comment? Thank you. If anyone would like to approach and um, discuss this item, please step to the podium, state your name and city of residence. Please limit your comments to five minutes or less. All right, it looks like I had to move for nothing. <laughs> no, okay, okay. This item on the agenda. My name is Martin Miller, live in the city of Champaign. To me, this is like a good ideal to have where community is playing a part, engaging the community, doing the things that's going on in our community, especially the gun violence. Um, to me, I, I understand the funding you're using, but I think they should have looked at uh, long-term funding because this, this is not going to go away in the two years is, if the funding runs out. I don't think the gun violence is going to stop when the funding runs out. So this is something, if you're really going to put down and want to work in the city, you're going to have to think about resources that come from the city. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Good evening, Council. My name is Patricia Avery, and I live in the city of Champaign. And I just want to come out and do something very unusual or something that you probably don't get much of. Uh, I know with all the issues that you are confronted with as city and city council members, you get a lot of people coming to complain to you about the various issues that you confront that confront our cities. And I have to say that I'm, I live in Champaign. I also live in G Georgia right now but I'm still a resident of Champaign. So every time I hear about an incident of gun violence in Champaign, it just breaks my heart. So to hear that the Neighborhood Services is um, asking the council to approve this ambassadors program, I think it's commendable that we are still, as a council, you are still seeking solutions to a very difficult problem. Gun violence has increased not only in our community, but across the country. And as Martel has stated, a temporary fix is not gonna help. We need long-term solutions. So let's not put a Band-Aid on a problem that we know is going to um, need a, a much more deeper and much more sustainable um, solution. But I do commend you all for listening 
in hearing the concerns of the community. Um, I know the mayor, I can talk to her at any time, and she's always got an open ear. And I, I appreciate that, Deb, for, for having that ear, not only for me, but for the community members. Um, the other thing I wanna say is, I've worked very closely with the regional, with the um, neighborhood services department, I'm sorry. We've, we've attended RNNC, so we are always looking for these solutions that the other com communities are doing in terms of the issues that are challenged with. Neighborhoods, neighborhood services, and John, I thank you for, for making this proposal before the council because whatever we can do to stop, slow down, cease gun violence in our community, we need to be doing it. Uh, it's, it's sad that the victims of gun violence are seeming, and the perpetrators of gun violence seem to be getting younger. Uh, so we need to do whatever we can to um, curb this. And if this is just another way that we can put boots on the ground in our communities to work closely with the city, I think that's to be commended. And I hope that the, the, the committee, the council, uh, approves this. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mr. Axelrod, we're taking comment on the agenda item. It's not general comment. Come on. Alan Max Axelrod, City of Urbana, resident, work in Champaign. I just wanted to emphasize the boots on the ground comment that Patricia Avery made when the City of Champaign made a commendable effort going to positive community engagements, such as many city uh, block parties and hosting events for collecting feedback um, as compared to a group of volunteers walking the streets for one hour, there was a measurable difference in the amount of feedback solicited. So I would like to emphasize the boots on the ground aspect where people can reach out to community members at their doors about their needs. And so if that's included, great, but just wanted to emphasize that point, thank you. Thank you, is there anyone else? Patrick Thompson, Champagne. Uh, I want to make a comment about the program. Uh, I don't know much about it, um, but from my previous conversations about getting people locally involved, people, ex-offenders, is very important. And I think for the long term, um, I saw you had university in there, um, and I think they need to be playing a, a critical role um, as being a part of this community with some of the education, um, Parkland as well, vocational training, and you know, like to see both of those um, um, entities involved so that we can look at long-term employment, you know, good paying jobs, um, and I, I feel that that is the only way you're gonna get some of this long, term systemic issues that we've been having in the community to change. So I would like to, you know, um, see some of that, you know, some of their involvement, participation uh, at the very high level um, and, and allowing them to um, provide their resources, their dollars, um, you know, to help combat some of this, because I think we've, um, you know, as a community, we know 
they're over here doing this, we're over here doing this, so everybody's kind of doing everything um, separate. But as a community, I think coming together and doing this as a whole, and I think you can, you can accomplish some, some serious goals and changes in some of the things that I know that has affected our community. So I'd just like to add that comment. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Marlon Mitchell Champagne. Uh, first of all, I'd like to just say um, I commend the work that has been put together for uh, uh, doing the research on this. Uh, I guess one of the big concerns I have about it is just the uh, staff that's going to be hired. Oftentimes, from the uh, position that I sit in, I always see issues of structural issues. And what I mean by that is if we're really trying to get to the root cause of this gun violence and the situations that we see in marginalized communities, it's gonna take people from those communities. And the structural issue with that is that oftentimes, certain people are not giving credit for the cultural capital that they have. Another problematic area is that when you're going through your hiring process as a city, because it's my understanding that this is gonna be employment employers of employees of the city. So, that being said, I have to ask the critical question, what does it look like if a person has a felony conviction and they're coming from these communities and they know that they can get into these communities and usher in change in a different mindset, are those persons going to be considered for a position that traditionally has, has excluded people with felony convictions. And I say that because as a city and as a staff, the city staff, I would, I would like to see what are your hiring practices for those individuals, not only those hiring practices for that community that have felony convictions, but how many people are on staff right now that may have been involved with the criminal justice system that's working for the city. So when we talk about this problem and this issue, I just want to make sure that we are being very vigilant and very sober about our hiring practices. So with that being said, uh, again, I commend the research that's behind that. But you know, from the lens that I've worked from, many of you already know who I am. Uh, I've always seen us being ostracized because of the fact that there's always questions of person's character just because you have a felony conviction. Uh, me, myself, as you all know, I've been formerly incarcerated. But at the same time, that was an experience that I take forward with me. And wherever I go, I'm honest about it because that, do, that does not exclude who I am and the things that I have to add, add or the value I add to any space I go into. So again, let's look at the structural issues and just not the problems that we see on the, out, on the outside. Thank you. Leanne Kelly, resident of Champaign, good evening. I, Ms. Kelly, I'm going to ask you to please keep your mask on. We no actually, I know as school long board, as you can hear me. <laughs> I know school board lets everybody take them off when they speak, but that's not our policy. No problem. Um, I just was going to say that as um, I was debating whether to talk, but as Marlon was talking about hiring, um, the one thing that I think I think it sounds excellent, um, but I also would, when you were talking about 80 hours of training. Um, as a member of the board of the Trauma Resilience Initiative, we take 40 hours to train organizations on trauma-informed practice. So I'm concerned that um, a trauma-informed practice is actually a resilient practice. 
And if we're talking about healing our community, um, I would highly encourage that looking from before even hiring, how the staff's gonna operate, is that, that it is done from a trauma-informed approach. Thank you. Thank you, is there anyone else? Hello, my name is Rashawn Frazier. I live in uh, Champaign. And um, I was wondering, um, someone said that uh, if things look like it's going to get rough, they're gonna leave, but um, how exactly are you gonna get anything done if you leave when it gets hard? Like, that's, that's where most of the gun violence is. And if you can't stay there when anything gets hard, how exactly are people in the community going to believe that you are actually trying to help them? We don't get the chance to leave. We're not able to leave like you can. So you leaving when it gets hard, it's like you throwing it in our face. You feel me? And what are, what are we going to do when, when y'all leave? Nobody, nobody cares about our life. So how, how is we going to get any, any help from, from the ambulance if everyone's just worried about the gunfire? No one's. Thank you. Uh, my name is uh, Jacqueline Minor, and I had no intentions of speaking. However, um, I think when the opportunity arises, you have to get up and have a voice. And Marlon sort of, uh, he, he always uh, uh, gives me thought because that program has certainly proved itself. My, my concern would be, if you're talking about community building, you have to be intentional about what you want to do. Two years to me is not intentional. So it, this community has taken a long time to get where it is. So it's not going to turn over. And the second thing is, I think that it has to be in, uh, community people involved. No one knows better about the community. If you go back and you look at some of the old programs, they were successful because they involved the community. But when you are dealing with uh, city staff from the top, you know, then you, the, the, the workers have to come in and sell everything to convince them of what is going on in their neighborhood. But if you have people that live in the neighborhood, they're already involved in what's going on. So we don't have a lot of time to get people in, uh, informed about what is going on in the community so that they can be a great team. It's called team building. And you don't build a team in a quick, hasty. If you're already talking about two years, I'm like the young man, you're gonna hit and run. And so if you're talking about long-term, then you are investing in solving a, a problem that has been in this community. Money has not been put in our communities. So if we invest in the community and the money's coming in and put the money in the community, it's time out for uh, doing little crumbs over here and there. Be intentional about actually wanting to turn this community around. Otherwise, I would hate to see somebody talk, come to me talking about two years when we know all the problems in the community. It's just not gonna work.
Thank you. Is there anyone else? Sundiata Chajula Champagne. I've got a, a lot of concerns about the proposal. One, there seems to be quite a bit of emphasis on the Central Business District. And to my knowledge, none or very few of the gun-related violence has occurred in the Central Business District. And to the extent that this project puts a, big, puts a great deal of attention on the Central Business District, then it ignores the communities and it seems to be tied to the protection of the property of the elite in this society. I'm also concerned about the size of the program. Four people? When I saw the uh, chart on the increase in gun violence, what it uh, demonstrated was a dramatic rise in, uh, in the lack of safety in this community. And the response is to hire five people, four who will be out in the neighborhoods only between the hours of what is it, 1 p.m. to midnight? My understanding is that a lot of the shootings occur 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. So there needs to be people out further in that regard. 80 hours of training, that's two weeks. You know, one of the problems that we have is that if I wanted to be a barber, I'd have to do 15 hours of training. I become a police officer, I do 580. This continues to model of people who should have more extensive training for what they're going to do, being trained on the cheap. And if you train people for 80 hours, two weeks, you're not gonna get a very efficient individual in that regard. So there should be a greater emphasis. And I concur that the people who are going to be hired in this program must come from the community. And in fact, one could go further and say that they should be people who have experienced, uh, if not gun violence itself, threat and have had problems with policing. So I would argue, in agreement with Marlon Mitchell, that probably the best suited person is someone who has, in fact, served time, who has a different type of reputation in the community, and can, in fact, be effective in talking someone down, as opposed to flooding, well, you're not flooding because you only got four people, hiring people with college degrees who may not be rooted in the particular community. It's absolutely essential that you expand the program, take it seriously, at least triple the program if you want to have an impact, and that you hire people from the community and that they be hired on the same basis that you hire police. Police are given the authority to use deadly force. They're given guns. And all they need to have is a high school diploma or a GED. The same criteria must be applied to this program, and there has to be an emphasis on local residency and people who have experienced the negative aspects in this regard. And the last thing I want to say is this. In order to really understand this program, we need to have a sense of how it fits into your overall comprehensive response to gun violence. And lacking a comprehensive program, it's hard to really evaluate this program other than it's too small, 
and doesn't appear to have the type of training necessary to be effective. But we got to see a comprehensive program because there are structural issues. There's questions of the uh, built urban environment that one has to think about in terms of this kind of question. There's questions of um, dealing with the necessary social reproductive aspects of the society. People need decent recreation. They need access to other places. And there's the question of jobs, because at the end of the day, it's about the marginalization of people from work. You solve that problem, you go a long way towards solving the other problems. So I would hope that the council would at least demand for this pilot program that you expand it quite a bit. You impose a criteria for hiring that puts the emphasis on local folks and it puts the emphasis on people who have at least experienced some jail time, right? at least some jail time, and that they have the same criteria for hire as police, a simple GED or a high school diploma. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Seeing none, council comment. Any council members? Council member Panfetti. Thank you. Um, I was glad um, to see a program like this come across um, the agenda. And so, um, Carrie and John, thank you so much for the time and um, the research that has gone into it. And thank you, everybody, that spoke this evening, because I think it echoes um, several of the thoughts that kind of were going collectively through my head, trying to pull, put all this together. So. Um, I'm very much in support of the concept of um, the neighborhood ambassadors and, and in hearing the feedback that we have gotten throughout the past months from the community. This is something that we do need. Um, there, there, are some, there are a few concerns that I have, um, though, um, so I'm going to try and address them and, and hopefully they um, make some sense. Um, and I think it, some of things were echoed here this evening, but I'm, I'm going to start with one of my concerns, which is um, the timeline. Um, one of the things that I was struggling with is when we talk about spring of um, 2022, I kind of think, where, where does that land when we have these issues now? And that kind of feeds into these ideas of um, the professional development, the training, the hiring, um, how do we get <clears throat> all these issues that we've been hearing about this evening, some of the thoughts that I've been thinking about, you know, what, what does that individual look like, how many people might we need, um, what, what are those qualifications, keeping people of our community, how, how do we approach this, how do we think about it, and I think a lot of times the proposal that we got wasn't necessarily, the, the content wasn't necessarily what I was expecting, but I think our protocol has been, here's this overview and not maybe necessarily the details because you wanna make sure that this is what we want. And I think collectively as a council, and as a community, we have said this is what we want. So somewhere along the line, I think there's, I don't know how we change it, but a disconnect between maybe 
what you are thinking you're going to give to us in February maybe could have come tonight, which may have solved some of the comments and some of the thoughts that are in my head because you might have a model in mind that addresses some of these concerns. We just, you know, you, you have this protocol where step one is this and then February it's going to come back and it may now address all these things which you may have already thought about but that's just not how our protocol has been. Um, but to that point, I think the timeline worries me because if we don't get something until February, we're not you know, looking at people maybe on the streets until March, April, or May, but we need people like boots on the ground, right, in, in December or January. Um, so I, I would, I don't know if I may be the only council member, but I would hope others might echo this, that we need to somehow move up that timeline. Um, to the point about budget, um, I'm okay with the fact that we may need to use money now to pilot something, but to address concerns about locking it in for long term, I, I believe that our financial department does a great job in financial forecasting. And what they do is they always remind us and lock us in to a program that has been successful and I think this is, this is what it's saying and maybe what it does is it says we have this money right now so we can run with it, but don't forget you need to keep budgeting for it. So I, I think sometimes there becomes that disconnect where you have to say it as a presenter that it's not budgeted today for long term, it's not a line item. And, but we will keep reminding you that it has to become a long-term item. I just heard that a lot, but I want you to know that that's, that's just how it is. But our budget um, staff always reminds us that it's there. And that's sort of how the lift program came into existence. There's a lot of things that have come out of this one-time money for today that we can run with it. Um, Rasham, I, I did, we typically don't, address questions right when somebody's speaking, but I wanted to make sure that you knew what they meant is they don't forget the individual that they're helping. They would remove that individual too, um, and they would provide resources and services. I mean, the, this program, what, what we are hoping, and if I am misspeaking, maybe Carrie step in, it's not leaving the people. They won't, they won't save themselves and forget the person they're trying to help. The, the purpose of this program is, is to help our community and, and to, to not have people struggle or to help us all feel the vulnerability that we're feeling right now. So to he hear you, and, and, I, and I commend you for making those comments because we all needed to hear it. And if you think this program is going to leave people hanging, we need to address it and we have to address it in the messaging that we're giving because it's not about if it's getting hard, we're going to leave because it shouldn't be about that. If it's getting hard, that's when we have to get stronger and help hear that message over and over again. So to, to the young people in the room, keep letting us hear that message because we, like, if anything, that's going to keep echoing in my, my head because 
we're not leaving when it gets harder. That's when this community came together to start fighting harder for everybody. Um, so thank you for that. Um, I do agree. I think that the staffing is small, but I understand that that's probably because it's a pilot. I also thought that maybe you would be requesting volunteers to also come, which isn't always the, the greatest thing, but at least, um, you know, as much as we can expand it, if there are ways to expand it with budget, I do agree. I thought it was a small number, but I understood that sometimes money limits the amount of people, but as we have the growth potential to be able to see what we might need in other, in ways to make this bigger, you know, let's, if, if there are ways to see that, that would be great. Um, I think those were all my notes that, that I could think of, but definitely um, the two takeaways for me, if, if there are things that we need to do to make it better so that you don't have to keep coming back for us, what, what, I, what I am wanting is to make sure that you aren't having more work to, here's the models, here's our research, and then we're going to come back to you with our solid model um, let us know what we can do to help with that. But thank you because I think this is where we need to be headed as part of the solution to this. And thank you all again for your comments. Anyone else? Councilmember Beck. Uh, first, my, my first question for, I have a question actually um, before comments. Do, can you explain how this in your idea and concept differs from the concept of violence interrupters and how the two are complementary or not? Well, the, a significant part of this is going to be on gun violence, community safety, but there will also be other things that we may be working on. Um, uh, John's presentation touched on a little bit, but things like neighbors without an address. There's other behaviors too that aren't necessarily directly related to gun violence. So this group can be a, a fairly broad um, group. Um, and, and I thank you, Councilmember Pianfetti, for I want to have a conversation after the meeting with the gentleman and the young man in the audience. Yes, we're not leaving people. And I think violence interrupters specifically, even the night of, right, may show up at a hospital. They may be more actively engaged. Think of us also as the next day, right? So we may be at an event. We may be in a neighborhood. Um, but it's the, the long-term, or what I like to call NSD, is the second response, the second wave, and we're there for the longer term. So continuing to talk and meet with people and see what their needs are. Um, I don't know if that directly answers your question, but... So, Councilmember Beck, if you don't mind, because um, the violence interrupter piece is not going to be led by NSD. They really are two separate initiatives. And, and so, you know, there are... Um, there are violence interrupter models that are very well ingrained in other communities. That has been part of what we have been trying to do as part of our, um, our gun violence work, but has been under-resourced. And uh, we'll have a separate study session right now. We're kind of putting that work together as a staff. Those models are really about hiring people from the community, particularly people with life experiences that align with the people who right now in the community are involved in gun violence or involved in situations where perhaps they have relationships with people who are in gun violence and you want people intervening directly in their lives. That's the interrupter piece. That has to be, you know, 
I think a lot of times in our community, we rely on volunteers to do that work. And what we believe is that we have to look to cities that have funded positions, whether that be city staff or whether that be partnerships with agencies that have people who are actually funded to be the interrupters, if you will, the human beings that are making connections with people. But the models also have things like stipends or funding for the people who are involved in the program and the initiative. So it's almost more an intervention case management model for people, which is um, different from this, which is more kind of neighborhood-based kind of engagement resources. The two can work hand in hand, but this is less about intervening directly with individuals than it is like working on a neighborhood basis, if that makes any sense. So, so, there, so it's a different, mm -hmm. we will have another study session about that. We are actively right now working on putting together a grant proposal because there are some resources available through ICJA and some state resources that we might be able to apply for so that locally we get some funds in addition to our ARPA money or other city resources to get an interrupters model off the ground that's actually funded as opposed to volunteer-based. No, that makes sense. Um, I, can you also then explain if, 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 if the um, ambassadors are not working with individuals uh, and on individual issues or uh, trying to address like a particular uh, conflict that might be happening between individuals. Can you explain what the ambassadors will be doing on a regular basis? Yeah, so, so I, I'm gonna let them do the ambassador piece. When I said they weren't working with individuals, I don't mean the ambassadors will never work with human beings that are no, individuals. No, I, I understand that, but I mean, right. what, I'm hearing, what I'm hearing people say mm -hmm. is that they are concerned that the ambassadors will not be addressing or will not be equipped to address individual conflict or interpersonal conflict that may be occurring, right? And so as a result, um, you know, my understanding is that we will be instituting an, a violence interrupters model in the not so distant future, correct? Or and that will be brought to us for consideration. Correct, yeah. And so the thought is that these, this particular program will not be addressing violence interruption and addressing conflict in that, in that context. So I'm wondering, can you explain to me and to the community what the community ambassadors will be doing in neighborhoods? Well, our program will be fo focused a lot on community building, um, community engagement, um, working with neighbors to resolve community-based um, issues, neighborhood-based issues, um, problem-solve around issues in the neighborhoods, um, assisting our 43 registered groups um, with amplifying the work of the already existing volunteers on the ground, and so supporting the work of those groups and, and their um, organizing and engagement efforts and then being deployed by the Safety and Wellness Committee to address targeted issues in communities around town where every issues might arise. And so, so um, can you give us some examples of what those kinds of issues might be? I mean, are we talking about litter in the streets or are we talking about barking dogs? Or are we talking about, I hate the color of my neighbor's house and he won't repaint it? Or are we talking about a fence line? I mean, what, are, what kinds of issues are we talking about yeah, so that I, we understand? 
Right, and I well, part of that's what we wanted to hear tonight too, mm -hmm. is to right. So there's a lot of ideas out there, and it can go a variety of ways. Um, I also look at it as kind of expanding the work that John already does. So I we have one John Ruffin trying to help mediate a lot of neighborhood conflicts. Um, this will allow John number one to be more focused on that. So I would envision that as the ambassadors are out in neighborhoods and hearing about barking, you know, any of the things that you just said those can come to us. If they can't be resolved quickly, if it's not a matter of knocking on someone's door and saying, hey, maybe not aware, you know, this issue, we're just walking through the neighborhood, right? We're gonna be identified. We're walking through the neighborhood and we heard your dog barking. Whatever the issue might is, we may try to talk to people and resolve it in that friendly way. We're not the police, we're not code enforcement, we're just here to talk to you. But let's say that escalates a little bit. Not to the point of violence, but right, it doesn't get resolved. That's where John may come in. We may we actually even use a mediator sometimes. But our goal is that we're going to have four people that we can deploy quickly across throughout neighborhoods as those issues arise. I'm envisioning that the neighborhood groups that John works with will probably share more challenges that they're experiencing in their neighborhood um, because we'll have more resources to help assist with that. So the goal is that we're preventing people from arguing or fighting or you know for things escalating. Um, so the escalation techniques, right? How do we help you talk to your neighbor? We've lost some of that in the last year and a half everywhere, right? So yes, there will be de-escalation. There will be conflict mediation. Can they be trained to do some of that on the street? That's our goal. Some of that may need to get referred to John. Some of that we, we may refer to a mediator. Okay, so at this point in time then, um, Okay, so 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 I, I, I just want to echo some of the comments about and thank you for the explanation about what uh, Councilmember Pianfetti said. I think that one of the frustrations perhaps that we're feeling is that and, and this is not a, co a commentary on your proposal, nor is it a commentary on, uh, you know, the work that you've brought to us tonight, but it is a concern that we are trying to expedite some of these of these issues and I recognize that it's multiple moving parts and, and it's not just your department, there's multiple departments, so this is not directed at the two of you. It's a general comment about the process that I think that what we're feeling is an urgency as a council and a frustration as a council that we're not addressing these issues in an expedited fashion when indeed that's what we need to be doing. That's what the community's asked of us. That's what we've asked of staff and then we're not, this is not fleshed out when it's brought to us. And I would have liked to have seen a more comprehensive proposal, I guess. And I'm hoping that perhaps instead of waiting until February for this to come back to us, that it could come back in a, in a faster fashion. Um, because it sounds like you have a pretty good idea about what you want to do from your description of it this evening. Uh, and so that's great. And so um, I think we're saying great bring a more comprehensive proposal back to us so that we can vote on something. Um, and I, th I think that there were lots of great comments made tonight, but what I want to do is understand m more about how this fits in with all of the other things that we're doing, because I don't, I'm having a hard time making decisions about this when I'm not seeing the other pieces that we're gonna be putting into place. And I think that for me, there was a lot of reference made back to, you know, communication with police and communication with 
um, law enforcement, but I, I don't understand how this is going to um, change how we're doing law enforcement per se. And so I guess there's no description of that for me, and that's not necessarily your doing. It is the whole city's doing that we have to figure out how we're going to do that together. And I'm just trying to figure out how we're going to get there because I feel like we're just eking and eking and eking along and we're never getting there and we're never making a comprehensive plan. And I don't know what to do about it at this point. Like I just, I just don't know what to do about it at this point because I've asked it for so many times and it's not happening and I can't explain how frustrated I am about it. Um, it's just, it's overwhelmingly frustrating, like to the point of keeping me awake at night that I can't, I don't know how else to express it. I don't know how else to say it and to like make it so that we do it faster and we get it done. I mean, do I, do I just come in and volunteer to do it? And I quit my job to come in and volunteer to do it? I don't know. Like, do all of us just need to quit our jobs and volunteer to do it? Like come in 40 hours a week and write this stuff? I don't know. Like, how, do we need to pay more people to come in to do it? Do we need to bring ARPA, put, pay people from ARPA money to do it? If that's what we need to do, bring in consultants to make it happen? I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just, really frustrated about it. Um, so so I, I, I'm not opposed to the ambassador uh, model. I mean, I'll be honest, mostly when I've, when I've encountered ambassador models, it's been in downtown situations to make tourists feel good about being in communities and, you know, places like when you go to Memphis and you go to Beale Street or you go to San Francisco and you go to the wharf or you go to highly tourist areas, that's usually what ambassadors are doing or directing tourists about where to go and making tourists feel good about being in the spaces. Um, and so I guess I, 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 I don't know if, um, I don't know, I just don't know. I don't, I don't think this is bad. I just don't think it's comprehensive enough and I'm hoping that we can have a, 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 a faster process. So those are my comments. Councilmember Kyles. First and uh, foremost, I want to thank the audience. I want to thank the, the staff for the work that has been done um, towards this initiative and the continuous feedback, not only from, and the work that's been, I mean, there's a lot of work that's been done. I know that there's a lot of frustration because there's nothing like working and not getting a return on your investment. Um, as it pertains to the work that the whole collective community is doing. But I think that we're in, while we are inching, I think that we are progressing. I wanted to celebrate at least for 22 seconds and talk about, and I have some things that integrate with public comments as well, but I did want to celebrate the fact that with ARPA funding, um, number one, 12 million was dedicated to Garden Hills, and now we're talking about another 1.2 million, which is 13 point out of the 25 million. Why is that significant? That's significant because in most cases, black and black communities, black and brown communities don't see that funding. It's just the reality, and it's the unfortunate reality, but I am excited to be able to, be able to share that narrative. 
The second thing that I was thinking through is that last time we came to council at cold setting, we asked you to put forth some of the initiatives and we asked you to put those initiatives from ARPA. And the fact that tonight, maybe what a month or two weeks or three weeks that you're putting forth those initiatives, I think that that's a positive as it pertains to direction. Now, we, when I made that comment and I, by my word said, that if you brought something forth, I would say that, you know what, whether it was perfect or imperfect, I would say that we asked you to expedite and bring something, and it came. And so for those things, I am thankful. Also, when we start, we we're shifting as a council, as a community, we're shifting from a volunteer model where most of our celebrations were, we gave an organization $3,000 and or $4,000, whatever the case may be. And inside we knew that, those, that that money was not enough under funding. So I see a shift towards going from asking the community to volunteer their time and efforts to now saying, you know what? We need to compensate time and effort. And so I think that those are all positives that um, shouldn't go without being discussed. As it pertains specifically to the, to the program, um, one of the, some of the comments that stuck out, number one is expediting. Of course, I definitely, if we can bring this forth before February, that would be amazing. And I don't want to expedite without compromise. Being in the, just, just understanding a little bit about what's being going on. I don't want you to push forth because, because you will, I know you will, but then we leave these things out. I don't want anything left out. In fact, what I was thinking about was when, in the, when we start talking about how to, should we be putting more money to this project? I think we should. But I also am cognizant and aware that I don't want to put so much into the program that, the re that if we put all, I want it to be sustained. So I don't want any job cuts to be the reality. I'm not looking for this to be a pilot program. I'm looking for this to be something that we continue to move forward in the future. And I don't want outs after this program, after this year, uh, after we go through this process, um, not year, after we go through this process, I don't want us to say, dang, we got to cut staff. So I would like to expand the program, but not in a way that's going to say job cuts. Because once the community depends upon this, and I would like us to go into different areas, um, that's critical and that's important. So I definitely know that those resources and dollars are going to be critical. But again, when this, pro this program is over, I don't want us to be in a position where we're saying job cuts. And that's just, you know, because I know that this is such a vital uh, position. And now you're talking, you know, people began to depend upon being able to do what they do for a living. We talk about ex-offenders. I definitely know that this is something that we have to do. We have to lead that just like we talk about diversity, just like we talk about procurement, just like we talk about those things. We have to be leaders. And, you know, if we're asking companies and we're asking our community um, members to, to, to do, make this investment, I definitely think that we have to not only use the experience that 
I hate to use the word ex-offender all the time, just someone who did, who did time. We have to use the experience that they have, and a lot of times when you sit down with these individuals, they actually have more experience and knowledge and can do the job. So I, I think that, I don't think, I know that that's something that we should do. Um, outside of that, those comments, I definitely want to end by, number one, I think that um, while we're, I mean, when you, uh, the comments made by the young man, I want you to know that not only is this program not designed for people to leave, you have members on the council that aren't leaving. Um, you're not leaving, meaning that we reside in the communities that we're talking about. So for the last 18 years, 16 at least, 16 years, North End, Champaign, Fourth and Bradley, all the way, we're not going anywhere. Douglas Park, I mean, that's what, that's, I mean, there's a lot of connectivity that goes into, when, I, when you talk about leaving, that's what creates the sense of urgency, right? Because you live in the community. And that doesn't mean that, and I, that's no knock on anyone that, that does not live on the north end of town, but it is only to articulate and to create, continue to, to, to tell our story of what we actually go through. And so some of the same issues that you see, I see, my son sees, my daughter sees. In fact, fireworks, and fireworks do not happen in January. But that was what we used to say when our kids were, were coming up so that they could at least, I mean, I guess, you know, fairy tales, right? And at some point they began to, they, I mean, you know, they're grown now. I mean, they're not like, oh, you know, dad, we know there's no fireworks in January. So those firework, those gunshots that we hear, all types of weapons we hear, it creates a sense of urgency that in this council, and this is why we, at least I wanted to articulate and talk about that because it's important for you to know that, no, we're not leaving. Councilmember Bruno. Um, I'm going to support this concept and support this program, but I do feel like um, there should be some voice up here that says uh, there's going to be there will be a significant number of people in our community who don't like the idea that we're going to give a hiring preference, if you will, for people who have committed crimes or been to prison or have uh, been convicted of a felony. Um, all good and well that we want to give everybody opportunities. But I think if we knocked on doors in the community and said, what do you think about this city program? There's going to be, a, we're going to be seeking out people who have committed crimes and offering the jobs to them first that that might cause some raised eyebrows among taxpayers in the community who think that's what our city's gonna do with our tax dollars. So while I'd like to see this program be successful, and I understand that everybody brings a di something different to the table, 
and folks who've been in some trouble before have a unique and valuable perspective. I certainly don't want to see somebody say, well, I got beat out for this job opportunity because I've never been to prison, and this person over here has, and the city wanted more people who had uh, been to prison to take these jobs as community ambassadors to lead by example, to show, um, to show the community uh, the right path forward. So it's, it's just a reality check that if we want this program to be successful and we want the broader community to support it, um, the notion of making it permanent before it even starts is contrary to how the city often does other efforts. The notion of tripling the size of it and making it permanent is also contrary to the way the city typically does business. So there are some voices out in the community, and maybe I'm one of the few left on the city council who might say, I'm okay with a pilot program. I'd like to see us pump our brakes a little bit on this. It's a great idea, let's try it out, but let's be careful about how, uh, how the guidance we give tonight will be interpreted by the broader community um, because they're not all as woke as we are. And there may be some people in the community who say, are you kidding me? The voices up here, all nine of you said, yeah, let's, um, let's hire people who have broken the law before ahead of people who have managed not to or, um, and I'm just sensitive to those kinds of things because I think that there are still a few members left in our community who are sensitive to those things and we won't have their support. So those are my concerns, but you'll have my support on this pilot program at this level. And I don't think it's perfect, but I don't want perfect to be the enemy of the good. Michael. Councilmember Fulmer. <laughs> thank you, Your Honor. Um, I, I want to first start by saying thank you um, to our staff for preparing this and, um, and maybe apologizing to our staff as well because I think you're going to continue to hear uh, the, the need uh, for, for expeditious um, movement on these kinds of things. Um, because I think we're just going to continue to say that and, um, and, and um, because I don't think there is a, a fast enough that exists. Um, I think at, at any rate, whatever, as quickly as you can do things, I think that's what we, we want to see. Um, I, you know, I, I want to first uh, also say thank you to our um, audience members who have mentioned some very important aspects. Um, and I, I would also like to kind of push back and say that I think, <laughs> so Council Member Bruno mentioned um, leading by example, and I, and I actually think I would argue that um, the folks who um, have spent some time in jail, who have um, 
who have been convicted actually can lead much more by example, um, by showing um, their experiences and, and where they are now, um, helping to support other folks um, who may who may currently be on a path that they saw themselves in previously and um, can really provide some, some great support. So I actually am very much in favor of um, favoring folks who um, have had some particularly difficult paths. Um, and, and I think that that is important um, for supporting, for supporting uh, young people in those positions. Um, I also, speaking of young folks, um, Mr. Fraser, you mentioned um, that nobody cares about your lives and I want to assure you that we absolutely do. Um, I absolutely care about your life um, and so I, I, I want you to know that we are here and just as Deputy Mayor Kyles mentioned, um, we're not leaving uh, when, the, when the going gets tough. And let me tell you, speaking of sleepless nights, uh, Councilmember Beck, <laughs> I have been there. I am there. Um, night after night, it, 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 this keeps me up constantly. So um, I would really like to see any, any way to move this forward more quickly. I am concerned if we wait until February before we have a budget amendment, that means you're not even looking to hire until after that's happened. And so that's concerning. The quicker we can do that, the better. Um, finally, I, I think I would really like to see um, in whatever comes next, I would really like to see kind of a, a comprehensive list of services that that we're expecting from these folks. I would really like to see what that is comprised of and, and kind of, I think I'm struggling to at, at totally understanding the scope of someone in this role's work. So I would really like to see some kind of comprehensive list of services or, or something to that effect. Um, so thank you very much. Councilmember Gladney. Yes, so thank you for your presentation and for putting this together. And uh, I wanna stress that um, I, I appreciate this, this effort and what you're doing. Um, and I do think this has come to us pretty quickly. You know, we, we just had our goal setting um, just a few weeks ago, and, and this, is, um, this is something coming to us, to the floor here, uh, which I'm, I'm happy to support, but I, with some asterisks. Uh, a lot of which has already been mentioned by members of the public and also if I'm a fellow council members, I don't want to belabor it too much. Um, I, I guess I just do want to confirm here, as part of the timing of this, this window of like 34 months, I think I heard you mention John, like because of the ARPA funding that is involved with this. Okay, so if I understand correctly, come spring of 2024 or maybe even a little sooner, we're gonna to have to reassess and look at, okay, if we want to keep this going, which I suspect we will, um, how are we going to fund it going forward? Okay, so part of that window then, I guess, just to stress, is, is ARPA funding related. Um, so I understand that. Uh, I think one of the issues that might have come across, particularly tonight, but also even just you know, reading through the packet here, is this, this is couched in uh, a cloak of like gun violence and, viol and community violence. And that's one reason I asked my question during technical questions was about what's gonna be the safety of the people involved and, and whatnot. Um, but as I understand it from some further explanation and 
uh, elucidation that's been provided that this is going, they're not really going to be in any kind of pretend, like potentially violent situations, is that correct? So, okay. So this is part of a bigger picture. And I think one of the problems we're facing though is in trying to find out what that picture is, is, is we're still painting it. This is just one section of the canvas that we're painting. Uh, and I think taken in that context, um, I, I, I understand it better. I'm a, I'm a little more okay with it. The problem is we're still painting. We still haven't figured out exactly what colors we're gonna use on the rest of the painting. Uh, and we're still working through that, but we have more to come. Uh, but that, that can be frustrating when trying to put all the pieces of this puzzle together, I think. Um, I, I, it, I would have I liked a little bit more clarity. I think that's already been mentioned, you know, on exactly what the responsibilities of these folks are going to be. Um, here's a question I have mid-commentary. Um, so we're going to be hiring five people, correct? Is it possible, midway through this program cycle, the initial pilot program cycle, to hire more? Is that something that we would be able to do if we feel like it's necessary for this? It would be dependent on funding, but yes. So if, it's, if there was a desire to expand it before the end of the 34 months, it would just require that we either have not spent ARPA funding on something else um, or that we've identified a, a different city fund source. Okay. But yes, that would be a possibility. It, okay. it would have to require council approval. Okay. Um, and it was mentioned earlier tonight about the, the length of the training time. That's something that had caught my attention, the, the, the 80 hours. I'll be honest with you, it was a little difficult for me to gauge whether or not that would be sufficient, only because, again, um, you know, we have the the program expectations and program outcomes that are mentioned here, um, they're fairly nebulous, um, which I think, I, on the one hand, I understand. I understand why it's that way. But it also isn't always the best thing when you are starting a project or a program, you need to have defined um, uh, measurements of success. Uh, and this, when they're, when they're kind of nebulous, it's a little more difficult to do that. So 80 hours could be, could be, could be fine, could be perfect for, for what you know, these folks need to do, or, or it could be lacking. It's a little difficult for me to, for me to judge. Um, what I don't want to have happen, though, is for us to get too bogged down into over negativity on this because I want to stress that um, I, I, I think that at its core this is going to be a good thing and I, I am happy that um, our staff has been working on this and has put this together and you brought it to us uh, and um, I, I think that it has good bones. I think it just needs to be fleshed out a little bit. Uh, so thank you uh, and I want to thank the public for their comments which I think have, have, have have helped, uh, and yeah. This question is to the city manager. Um, has there, have we scheduled a, um, a study session for the violent interrupter, violence interrupters yet? No, we don't have a date yet. 
we do not have a date yet. Um, so is but so the difference between the ambassadors and the interrupters would be the ambassadors would be more more or less community oriented, and the interrupters are more be more or less um, for the for um, to to the season stop something. Is that is that my is that my understanding? Just like to pre 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 to prevent. So I can, I can ask other staff to talk about it, but to me, think of, um, so there are people in our community, um, many of them are young people, young adults, who are either involved in gun violence or, you know, for whatever reason, they're at risk of being involved, okay? My understanding is that when we talk about the violence interrupter model, we are talking about actually finding mentors and people in the community with some related life experiences that can earn the trust of these young people to help intervene in their life and work to provide support and resources so they see a path in their life that is different than just a path of violence. So when we talk about the violence interrupter, I know we're talking about all of these are ways to intervene in violence, mm -hmm. but the violence interrupter model is a very personal model of employing people to help support members of our community who are at risk of being engaged in violence, as well as incentives to compensate the people to be engaged in the program for positive life changes, okay? Mm -hmm. This is more of a community-based neighborhood-based model when there may be kind of broad issues or disorder issues um, so that we have teams of people who can kind of de-escalate and engage and have relationships with folks, but it's more kind of community-based. It may be knocking on neighborhood doors and expansion of some of our work in our multifamily complexes, but it is not that direct one-on-one -on -one work with individuals who are at risk of gun violence engagement. Does yes, that yes. help? Yes, it does. Thank you. That's it. That's all I have. Councilmember Niguez. Yeah, uh, thank you for the presentation. Uh, you, um, Councilman Gladney, already asked the question about whether or not we can hire as we move forward. I think that's going to be the best approach just because we don't, chances are we're going to need more. Uh, I think there's going to be strength in numbers, and I think this is going to be a bigger problem than, not a bigger problem, but like something that will require a lot more. So I do like the idea of kind of coming back and finding the funding for that, whatever it looks like, I think we can find the money. Um, and in terms of uh, the exped uh, expediting the process, I think we're gonna run into some quality control issues anytime we do that, but at the same time, we're, we need to do something, so expediting it is perfectly fine with me, and I think we just adjust on the fly. Um, lastly, I just wanna make a general comment about these type of programs. Uh, um, you know, we worry about cutting staff and things like that, but I think ultimately we want to do away with these type of programs because we don't need them anymore. So we need to look at those uh, metrics of success and making sure that we have those goals in line. Um, as we flesh this out a little bit more, I think that's gonna be the most important thing for me to see is making sure that we have those objective numbers that we can look at for success. Um, but you have my full support on this. Um, again, with the caveat that I'd love to see a little more uh, staffing, if possible, as we, I, I think that's going to be very important moving forward. Thanks. Councilmember Kyles. I think it's important to, uh, thank you, uh, Madam Mayor. Uh, I think it's important at least to, to, to comment or at least articulate um, 
that Councilmember Bruno, it's important for you to be able to represent us, to represent our constituencies. That is very, very important. I believe now in our role, as we talk about ex-offenders, I believe we have to, to I, I really believe when people start talking, so when people talk to me about the gun violence, there's a level of, sometimes I look back at them and I say, sometimes I'm just as confused as they are. If someone asks me about gun violence, sometimes I'm confused just as the other person that they don't understand why gun violence doesn't happen. I don't think it has to be, I, I kind of personally hate when people say, well, I don't know what it is to be black. I'm just, I just hate that personally, because I'm like, do you know not what it is to be human and not to have resources and access to resources, hope. We look at gun violence, and this was something that actually was brought up years ago it was kind of stewing, but we, we kind of said never our community. It couldn't be that way. And so a, a lot of things that we, we there are some cues, and this is, is in the making for years. And so when people talk about, you know, gun violence, when they talk about ex-offenders, that really kind of like my new, it's not even my new position. My position is let's talk about what happens when a person doesn't have hope? I used to work in a position, you know, I used to work at Kraft, and one of my, my thought processes was I, I managed a cleaning company. And so I tried to, uh, you know, use my influence to help people get onto the cleaning company. And what kind of just hit me really hard was that it was difficult essentially getting people, helping people to get opportunities scrubbing toilets and floors. And I thought to myself mentally, because we're, you know, we're thinkers. I said, dang, you can't, if you gotta beg, borrow, and plead to scrub a floor, then you got a hard time. And so I think, not to belabor, because I know we have another, we got, when people ask us about gun violence and ask us about all these issues that happen in our community, and you know, it's important for everybody to be able to articulate their points and positions. But if a person doesn't have an opportunity, uh, a sense of pride, then I don't see how we don't expect more gun violence to happen, actually. I, I honestly don't see it. And so I think it's important to, that we continue to say, and, and people have come to me from those different constituencies and talked about it. And I'm like, we, let's sit down and have a cup of coffee. But the reality is, if we're not changing people's economic situations, and not just children, I think we've, we, we gotta talk about the people who take care of the kids. I think it's just important to just tell them that, man, we gotta change the narrative or we're gonna lose our city. We are going to lose our city because we're stuck on how we've always done things. And so I understand the position, we always talk about safety and all of those, but. The harsh reality is people who don't have records engage in some of the most reckless behavior ever. They just 
didn't get caught or they didn't go to court. And so it's not, I just, I think that we have to, it's important for us. And I join you in articulating that, you know what? If you don't give an ex-offender an opportunity that they can do like restore some pride in their community that they live in, then dang, what do you expect? I don't, I don't expect this to get better. I only expect it to get better when we change the conversations, change the mindsets, change the resources, change the opportunities to reinstill the hope inside of people. Anyone else? Thank you. I know that this is a project from your heart and that you have been working on um, for a considerable amount of time to bring to us um, what you believed was the best option for this program. Um, I think staff is in a bit of a catch-22, which is that we are incredibly anxious to move quickly to um, make, make a difference in this community. And so we ask you to move quickly, and then when you move quickly, it isn't our normal, perfect, um, you know, 20-page, everything is totally done um, kind of proposal because you've moved quickly. And so um, I think we as a council have asked you to just start bringing us stuff. And that may mean that we have to take some leaps of faith that every question that we would normally have answered in our study session report may not be answered. Um, the community will bring up good points. We will acknowledge their good points and they will get incorporated into the final product. Um, but that doesn't mean that the ideas aren't sound and that it isn't something that's valid and it isn't worth bringing and moving on. So thank you for bringing it. Um, I, in some ways, I see this as an extension of neighborhood services even further into the community. For a million years since I've been on council, we've talked about neighborhood services not having the staffing to do the kind of neighborhood level engagement that you all have wanted to do. And this is providing additional people who hopefully are closer to community members to do exactly the kind of engagement we're, that we're talking about. Um, I appreciate the, the learning opportunities about differences between this and violence interrupters and what we're actually asking um, this group of people to do, but it's no less important. Um, I know that I am, and I'm sure the rest of council members are recipients of tons of emails about you know, a wide variety of neighborhood things. And um, Council Member Beck sort of listed some of the ones that were top of mind. But, you know, I've gotten the, my neighbor's dog poops in my yard, and so I'm calling Champagne Police. Um, I've, I've gotten speeding-related things that are neighbors speeding that maybe a community meeting or a discussion with the neighborhood could help. It could be a fence line dispute. It could be weeds or property maintenance disputes. It could just be knowing that the city cares enough that we have sent some people from the community to be part of the solution and, and, in, and a, a connector to our big, bigger city organization. You don't know who to call about whatever it is, but this community ambassador is in your neighborhood 
once a week, twice a week, every day, and you build that relationship. So I, I think it is, it's a great starting point and it may, it may grow exponentially. I hope, I hope that it does. I, I recognize the other side of that is we hope we don't need it forever, but I don't know that it has to be always directly related to violence in order to be a worthwhile um, venture to be engaging our neighborhoods in this way. Um, and I, I, th I think it is something we're going to want to fund going forward and probably grow going forward. But the ARPA money at least has given us two years to figure out how to do that. Um, and so we have this respite where we can see if the program works, make some adjustments, and figure out how we're going to pay for it going forward. Um, I endorse all of the other ideas about having a wide variety of people with a wide variety of experiences um, a part of this. Um, and I, I, I am, although I am mostly excited about the neighborhood engagement, I will say that I don't discount the importance in the business districts as well. And I saw our city staff basically performing this role in downtown Champaign on Friday and Saturday nights. Um, staff who didn't have to be there, but were choosing to be there to try to engage with community members and to try to get a handle on sort of everything that was happening downtown this summer um, and to, to really make it um, an even better place to be. And, and I think that has value as well. Um, you know, we have, we have, we had more diversity downtown than I have ever seen. And we had lots of engagement from city staff with residents. And um, our, our city also has to be about some of the joy of in enjoying this place that we live and being together. And if community ambassadors can help that happen and can help our business owners who are still struggling post-pandemic, um, then, then I think that's a good use of their time as well. So I am supportive of this program. Uh, so our study session question is, direct staff to proceed with actions necessary to launch a pilot neighborhood ambassadors program by spring of 2022 using ARPA funding. Council Member Aniguez. Yes. 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 And yes, thank you, you have direction. So, Your Honor, while we're kind of changing of the guard here at the table, um, I'll do the introduction to the next study session, which is a discussion of Bristol Place Phase 2. Um, we're very pleased that Phase 1 is completed, but we've reached the point where the developer is ready to apply for housing tax credits for the second phase, and prior to submitting that application, um, is seeking City Council input into the preliminary site plan for the development. So this evening, Jennifer Carlson from our Neighborhood Services Department 
is here along with uh, Jim Roberts, who is our developer for Bristol Place, to present information on the preliminary site plan and seek your input. Jennifer? Thank, thank you, City Manager, and uh, good evening, Council. Um, tonight, Jim and I are going to be presenting the Bristol Place Phase Two preliminary site plan, and we are seeking your support on this plan. Since 2007, Council goals have included the redevelopment of the Bristol Park neighborhood as a key project. The Bristol Park neighborhood consists of three residential sub-areas, Garwood, Shadowwood Mobile Home Park, and Bristol Place neighborhood. In 2011, the Bristol Park neighborhood plan was adopted as a component of the comprehensive plan, and the neighborhood plan was created with significant public input regarding the future goals for the three sub-areas. In 2017, the city partnered with the Housing Authority and AHDVS LLC through a tri-party master development agreement to develop the site. Phase one of the redevelopment features 64 single-family homes, 26 townhome units, and the John Lee Johnson uh, Clubhouse. 84 of the units are considered affordable with rents based on income, and six of them are market rate. The original site plan um, illustrated a total of 180 dwelling units that would be built in two phases, phase one for the area south of Tower Road and phase two for the area north of Tower Road. Phase two was anticipated to include 90 apartments for seniors, bringing the entire site to 180 housing units in place of the original 80 structures. Two phases of redevelopment were planned. They were always planned to be two um, to optimize tax credit financing. And with that, I will turn it over to Jim Roberts to share details about the Phase 2 site plan. Uh, thank you, Jennifer. Uh, thank you, everyone. I appreciate the opportunity to, to speak this evening. Um, as we had uh, envisioned several years ago when we started uh, Bristol Place Phase 1 development, uh, the continuation of this investment uh, brings us to a point where we're able to present to our Illinois Housing Development Authority our ideas for a senior community uh, at the, on the Tower Street location. Uh, it is, uh, in our opinion, um, a necessary and, and a vital piece to our puzzle for telling the story of community revitalization in the Bristol Park community. And as we have seen with the uh, first investment, uh, we have uh, generated a lot of positivity with respect to uh, the work that we've collectively done over the years. Um, in this particular phase, our objective is to ask Ida through the preliminary project uh, assessment process if they agree with us that this site is suitable for senior housing development and that the demand exists for the proposed population that we are targeting. For us, we are representing that we would like to create a senior dedicated community for those 62 years and older. Uh, we like to make all the units affordable to those whose income does not exceed 60% of area medium income. And uh, we like to continue to expand our service package with respect to our, our on-site staff capacity uh, through this investment uh, so that we can have a better overall uh, service platform with respect to both phases through our investment in the employment and training of our staff. So at this point, our objective here is to ask the city council for uh, support in 
and permission to submit the preliminary application to get an indication from the Illinois Housing Development Authority uh, that they agree with us in our narrative and our approach so that they might allow us to make a full financial application in the first quarter of next year. Uh, to get to this point, we've done a lot of preliminary work uh, in conversation with Ida Strategic Planning Group uh, around this initiative. We have a lot of advocacy uh, in Ida uh, for what we're doing in Bristol Park uh, with respect to our multi-phase development. And our bank partners are very happy with our first phase execution and are supportive of us in our second phase execution. So with that, we, we have a lot of work in front of us. Uh, we're going to continue to uh, build consensus, you know, through our stakeholder meetings for our ideals, for our planning. And uh, we're hopeful that, again, with the support of the city, uh, as well as our state agencies and our banks and our community, that we can introduce yet another successful project in Bristol Park. So what you're looking at here is some concept plans uh, based on some developments we did in Chicago area in the Elgin community uh, that we thought uh, was very apropos for our community here in Bristol. Uh, again, we're proposing a community of principally one bedroom uh, uh, homes, apartment homes, uh, representing 80% of our development, uh, and then another 20% represented by two bedrooms. Uh, we'll provide on-site uh, staff uh, in support of our seniors. They'll have on-site club facilities. Uh, they'll have social areas planned for them, as well as a, an outdoor fire pit, you know, garden plaza uh, that we think is a very nice addition to the property. Uh, there will be off-street uh, surface parking provided to them as well. And uh, our intent is to make sure that our rent structure and our support network, you know, stay within no more than 30% of their income. So, again, our objective is to make sure that we create long-term affordability uh, through our investment, but also create a, a quality home that our seniors choose to, uh, to reside with us, you know, at Bristol Park. Our timeline, um, October 29th is the day in which Ida allows us, as well as any project across the state, to submit what we call a preliminary application uh, to express our interest, to get their initial feedback. By December, they will indicate uh, from those uh, group of applicants who they will invite in to make a final financing application uh, for the uh, first quarter of 2022. And uh, if and when we are invited in, we'll have an opportunity to submit that application by February with notification by May. So uh, we're in an interesting cycle of investment opportunities um, with our state agency. And uh, I think we will be successful with our phase two if we're allowed to submit the uh, preliminary application this October. Um, in, in regards to um, zoning considerations with phase two, the first phase of Bristol Place residence did require special zoning approval because the proposed layout didn't meet all the requirements of the existing zoning. A preliminary plan development was approved by council, which allowed for the smaller lots, reduced setbacks and accommodations for other waivers. In the preliminary planned development, the lot north of Tower Road was labeled as a future phase for multifamily housing for seniors. The plan also showed the approximate layout of two buildings and associated parking. 
The proposal now for phase two is consistent with the original plans indicated in the preliminary plan development. And prior to construction, the developer um, would be required to submit a final plan development for phase two. Staff would process that application for approval and the planning commission and city council would um, need to approve it. And it's not anticipated that any additional waiver or zoning variances will be needed for phase two. So what we are coming to you tonight um, to consider um, is we're asking for your support for this preliminary site plan. And so, as Jim said, he's getting ready to submit the, the PPA, and there are three things that cannot be changed with the development once you submit that PPA. And that's the site location, Bristol Place, the population served, which would be seniors, and then the construction type, which is multifamily. So that's what we're asking for you to vote on tonight or to support um, in this preliminary site plan. Um, so with that, um, our presentation is over and we'd like to ask you to consider alternative one to provide direction to support the preliminary Bristol Place Phase Two site plan. There are new technical. Councilmember Gladney. Thank you. Um, can you tell me how the number of parking stalls was arrived at? Well, it's yet to be finalized, but the assumption here that there will be at least one parking stall per resident uh, with an additional uh, one or half parking spot provided for a potential visitor. Okay. The reason I ask is because in other parts of town, we have specifically kind of tried to move away from certainly requiring a certain number of parking mm -hmm. spots with the hope that the developer will then maybe not provide as many so it can encourage walking, walkability, that sort of thing. So I didn't know what was the thought pattern behind this. This, this is very, this sounds very carbon lines. Well, the, the, in our experience and in our ownership of senior housing, um, typically our, our seniors are dependent on others to make their way throughout their community. Uh, many of them um, uh, replace their car with support services that are provided through city or through their families. Um, and usually, you know, we, we may be able to work with half the, the cars relative to the total units available. But we have such an expansive lot, we wanted to make sure we made use of it to make, to accommodate these residents. I, I'm assuming that we're gonna have a lot of um, independent, healthy, elderly living there who might still be engaged in employment and therefore will be moving throughout the city um, you know, throughout the course of their, their routine. So we're trying to make sure we accommodate that ideal, if you will, with respect to our, our parking plan. But we're certainly open to making adjustments relative to, you know, the long-term interests of the city. Would the thought be to, I don't mean to fixate on parking so much here, but would the thought be to have a parking spot, des a designated parking spots, or would there be, would these be open? So for example, if visitors wanted to come, there'd, there'd be you know, spots for them, obviously. To, to There'll be them. designated spots for our, our, our seniors, which are prioritized, and then on the edges of our building, we'll have uh, parking for visitors. Okay. Um, so the, these, this development is age restrictive. Yes. Correct. So and, and it says 62 and over, so that's, does that mean people who are 63 or actually it says yeah, over 62. So are we talking age 62 and over or age 63 and over? 62 and over. Okay. Um, and, and low income, is that also, did I read that correctly? Okay. That, that's a misnomer. It's really for, fam for seniors who income do not exceed 60% of the area of medium income. Okay. 
This is not, if I understand correctly, an assisted living facility. No, we're not providing health care services at this facility. Pat, I think, I think that's my questions. Thank you. Yeah. Any other technical council member back? On the line of uh, transportation, can you tell me where or have there been plans to include a proximate um, MTD stop to this development? That is something that we're still talking about internally and, and how to do that safely um, nearby. Okay. And then my second question is related. And uh, we, I know when we first were talking about this back when we were first developing the ideas for Bristol Place in general, there was thought process that we might um, include a shelter for the Shadowwood area for um, uh, you know, if we, there was a storm or something that came through, like a tornado, or is that still something that we're talking about? And where does that fit into this? Yeah, Carrie is actually going to answer that. Okay. Hello. Um, it, that was actually part of the original Bristol Park neighborhood plan. We actually had a designated site along Tower Street, but that was going to be a fire station. So that's when we were reviewing the fire station three study and the consideration that we would put the new fire station there. Um, that is no longer still part of the plan, but in the meantime, the Martin Center, which is directly across the street, does serve, it will serve, it's not open yet, but that will serve as a tornado shelter, uh, similar to how the Leonard Center does in South Champaign. Um, so that's, in, in our opinion, that's how we're able to still accomplish that goal that was in the broader Bristol Park plan. Anyone else? Anyone in the, you, you two are free to get up if you don't want to have your back to commenters. Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue, please step forward, state your name and city of residence. Please limit your comments to five minutes or less. Patrick Thompson, Champaign, Illinois. Um, here to talk about the Bristol Project um, and the first project that was bid, my concern was at that time was African-American participation on the project and opportunities to, um, to bid the project. Um, and we, I don't think I was ever provided what was the, what was the percentage of African-Americans or minorities that were awarded the project, that were awarded any work on the project. My understanding, I think it was a 30% goal. My other concern was the individuals that were working on the project. Did any of those individuals that were um, um, that worked on the project did that did did they did they um, did that lead to any long-term employment? So in my and I'm talking about did they get into any construction? Did they get into any trades, any apprenticeship programs, anything? You know, these this project here was uh, you know, it was probably once in a lifetime you're gonna see in Champaign, you know. And there's opportunities to get diversity and get African-Americans, young African-Americans, contractors on this project. Now, 
you know, that's still my concern today. And you guys may move forward with it, but I'm on, but those are some questions I got, and I want to be, you know, um, am, am going to be wanting to see some data to see if those goals were met last time, you know, who these contractors was, um, and what opportunities are going to be available for minority contractors. Now, um, I believe this is Davis Bacon wages on this project. I believe that's, that was what, um, what was previously. So, um, you know, was those wages, you know, um, did any of the contractors um, provide those type of wages? So, so, so there's, some, there's some things I think, I, you know, we should be asking, you know, um, because as an African-American contractor, you know, and I, I've been doing this for a while, you know, I, I have a, not only do I want to, but I have a responsibility also to bring in diversity. You know, and if you, and if I don't um, feel the need or say, I, well, I just want diversity for me, but I'm not also going out there looking for diversity, then, you know, it's, it's only beneficial, I mean, it's only beneficial when I want it. It's not beneficial to those that um, also are seeking the same opportunity as I'm seeking. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll get with Carrie, you know, and, I, and I'll see if this information is available. And, but that's, that's my comment for tonight. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council? Please step forward. Martin Miller, Champagne, and my concerns is probably like Patrick's, because I know where, where his heart is, what his company, how, how he wants to bring young African-American men into trades. And so if you're not looking at these numbers on these projects that you put these goals on, if they're supposed to have 30% goals and you only let it get away with 10, that's hurting the whole community because they ain't getting the skills they ain't getting the education, they, and they ain't getting the opportunity. You know, and like I, we all says, when we talk, if you want to change the community, just change the economics. You know? <laughs> and you can't change the economics without giving out good jobs. And good jobs come with trades. And this is a job that it takes a lot of trades. It takes all the trades for this. It takes from demolition to building, to uh, electricians, to plumbers, to carpenters, to roofers. It takes every, every trade works on this. And, I, and, and this is like a city, Howland Authority project. Y'all can do it. These private contractors, we walk down the streets every day. You don't see a black man. You don't see a black woman. You don't see hardly no women at all. You're the minority, but with me, I'm gonna stand here for the black men, black women in this community. We need these opportunities. We can talk about them, but we gotta be about them. We gotta make sure they're out there. You know, you said 
It should be 30%. And if you can't get 30%, you need to be sitting right up here and saying, why? You know, just don't build it without them. You say, hey, I, I can't find the people. And you can find the people in the high schools. You can, they got a SWIFT program if you need to put them in the SWIFT program. But you need to challenge the unions, too, if we want to change the community. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Seeing none, council comment. Councilmember Kyles. Uh, thank you. Um, just one really quick question that's in response. Um, and if you have those numbers, you do. If you don't, then we would get them. But um, just for, do you have those? Um, yeah, I, may I speak to yeah. Okay. Sure. In phase one, uh, we had over 43% of our contracts were awarded to MBE or DBE or VBE businesses. 40, or 43%. Principal contracts were let uh, to um, African Americans with respect to our electrical contract, our site. Uh, concrete contract, our drywall contract, our cleaning contract. In addition to that, we held a number of workshops, uh, one at Parkland College, uh, one at the Central Library and other places where we attempted to explain our bid process to our small contractor, particularly our MBE contractors. Uh, I even wrote their bid forms for them. So I taught them how to professionally bid back to us uh, so that they could be fairly evaluated. For those who were, if you will, two men in a truck who had skills with painting, uh, we did not offer them the prime contract for a 90-unit project. But what we did do was offer them an opportunity for employment with the prime contractor with the expectation that if they, if they evidence performance, uh, we would open up the last several houses and give them those contracts so that they can build their individual resumes. So we did a number of things to promote, engage, train, and encourage, including having to uh, float their supply credit, float their payroll, and do their paperwork back to us. So we were very active. We think we were very successful, and we were very patient with that execution uh, throughout the ex throughout Bristol Place construction. In addition, uh, our general contractor hired for general labor in the last of our project out of our, our black community, eight individuals uh, that joined their workforce in that capacity. So again, uh, you know, we, I think, exceeded the aspirations for this project and we try to do our best to provide tools, you know, to help them to succeed. Uh, so we're very proud of what we, of the work we've done and the representation that we made. The one thing I've always emphasized at every workshop was to bid your capacity, not your aspiration. Bid your capacity, not your aspiration. Uh, the discouragement that we've heard was that uh, they were being locked out of contract in part because their ability, inability to properly represent themselves through the bid process. And as a result, you know, we developed a bid form 
um, to give them a tool by which they could bid back to us. So again, uh, being responsive, uh, being engaging, uh, we think you know, we were very you know, productive in that way, Council. I think it's important to talk about that work. Um, in fact, I would um, not only say that it's important to not talk about, to talk about that work, but to continue that work, I will be supporting this initiative. But I think it's even more important because if I ask white contract, prime contractors the same thing, the reality is I, I don't, well, the harsh reality is they could not articulate any of that. And so I, I'm always careful um, to make sure, um, I'm always careful to make sure that we hold the standard uh, just as much as we're holding the standard on, on black um, developers that we hold the standard on white developers in future projects and past projects because that's critical and important and it's talked about by the audience, um, uh, uh, Patrick Martell, Miller isn't critical and important. We know how important this is. And so I do want to thank you for being able to articulate that. I know that there were a lot of meetings and a lot of work done, and I know that there's a lot of work that needs to continue to be done. And I don't, I don't, I want to make sure that, that I personally could look at some of our other developers and ask the same question, because I'm almost positive that it doesn't happen in that way. Um, so thank you for being able to articulate that um, and uh, look forward to seeing some more work being done. Any other council comment? Councilmember Fulmer. I it will be extremely quick and say thank you so much for um, all that you just articulated, Mr. Roberts. I, uh, that was extremely helpful for me as a new member of council, so thank you. Councilmember Pianfetti. I'll be supporting this this evening, and I just wanted um, to thank you getting the uh, chance this evening. I attended the um, Loving You um, block party that was at Bristol Place, and the sense of community that was there was really very evident, and I think that in part has to do with the thoughtfulness that was in the phase one design, and you know to see it on paper, but then to see that in the people that are living there. Um, so uh, uh, thanks to uh, Neighborhood Services. Um, I know you all did a lot this summer with that, um, but also to you, um, Mr. Roberts, in your, um, you came to us. It was one of the first things I remember um, hearing about um, when I came on council, and you made a commitment to bring community to the area, and you did, so thank you. And. Um, I'm excited to see what will happen in phase two. And also, as echoed by Councilmember Kyles and Fulmer, um, having those numbers and to articulate them as you did um, shows your commitment to this community. So thank you very much. Any other council members? Comment? So we will be polling alternative one, um, provide direction to support the preliminary, preliminary Bristol place phase two site plan. We'll stand up, sign on this end. Yes. 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 And yes, you have direction uh, eight to zero. We're now in our um, time of our agenda where we are taking audience participation. Would any members of the audience 
like to um, speak, please, please, please feel free to step forward. You have five minutes to speak. Um, Martillo Champagne. I really like the direction the city is going with some things, especially with the neighborhood services. Um, I just they would, wish they go the same way with the township. You know, it's push on the township. I, I, I came to the township meeting because the township need the resources. They, they, they need more employees because they deal with the poorest of the poor. I work in Havana, a city that's half the size of y'all, and I work at township. I see these individuals day by day. I see the needs. I'm under y'all viaduct right down the street next to the police. I'm there three times a week because it's the homeless population. One day I'm organized the homeless population so y'all can see them. You know, and with me, the United States should have housing ought to be a right. If you could pay $50,000 a year to imprison someone, you could pay $10,000 a year to house someone. This community here needs a homeless shelter. When I say a homeless shelter, I'm not talking to see you at home. That's a private-run shelter. We need both cities to get together, city mayors, city councils, and get us a homeless shelter. Because this winter, there's going to be some freezing people out there. Maybe somebody dies, and we could avoid it by doing what we do for every contractor, every developer. We'll find money to help them get these place started, but we can't find money to help people. <laughs> and I'll be talking to Abana City Council the same way I'm talking to Champagne City Council because it got to happen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Would you, anyone else like to step speak for all council, please step forward. LMX Axelrod, City of Urbana. I work in Champagne. When I came to you all four years ago, talking about the lack of homeless services in this community, two things happened. Carrie Wyman gave me her card, and I followed up. Martel Miller gave me his card, and I followed up. I interned in the township office just a few months later or sorry, volunteered and then interned. Outside of the township, I can reciprocate or corroborate everything that Martel Miller just told you. The situation for the homeless folks in our community this is going to be worse than it's been in many years because we have unrestricted utility shutoffs which as the Intercept reported, dehouses people without an eviction faster than the courts. We've had over 200,000 households disconnected, 160,000 households disconnected since April. The Utility Disconnection Avoidance Program automatically paid vulnerable households utility bills until the end of June. Mid-July, we saw a coronavirus caseload increase. 
The Delta coronavirus, according to the Illinois Department of Health and as reported on by WILL, our local NPR affiliate, was in our state in April. You see the consequences of people being dehoused and having to move in with their family if they are lucky during a pandemic where we still are far beyond the initial calculation for herd immunity, let alone the new ones due to the more virulent strains. Several of the people in this body signed an open letter in January, and our caseloads are very similar to the end of January, our current caseloads, if that is, calling for the suspension of evictions. I'm not going to name names. You know who you are. I'm going to be a little polite tonight as I was yelled at outside, so you know I'm going to be on my better behavior. This is lives. Not whose nonprofit gets money, not which services the city funds. These are lives. You'll have tax revenue later. I don't know how much more clear I can make it. I apologize for not being here for two weeks. I've had time conflicts. My car's not in uh, functional capacity at the moment. But these are human lives, and we're working across the state to try and stop this thing. And who are we? 50 member organizations of varying capacities, and in some cases, varying capacities of goodwill. I'm restraining myself on making decisions on that end. Because internal education is important. Zero dollar budget. Four utility shut off moratoria, $150 million spent, and the governor's response to the continued 10 resolutions that we've passed since April in nine political bodies in six counties, not including this one. Calling on him to act. His response was to do the same thing he tried and failed last year expand the low income home energy assistance program. Last year, we had 60,000 fewer households receive LIHEAP, despite the fact that it was expanded. I don't know how much clearer I can make this. That's not enough. Do you think that I got into activism saying, I want to talk about utilities? Do you think that I got into activism saying, hey, I'm going to tell some uncomfortable truths? Do you think that I got into activism because I wanted to grandstand? I didn't want my name to be known. I wanted my, to be an intern doing data information work for a political office that could generate some principled pressure. I didn't want you to know who I was. These are lies. That's all it's ever been about. So you tell me that I'm spreading rumors? No, I'm a source for multiple news outlets. They know that we vetted our information. Who are the abusers in this situation? Who are the people not standing up during our historic pandemic? I'm sorry for yelling. Good night. Thank you for your comment. Are there any members of the public that would like to approach the council? Council comment? City manager? I'd like to make, is there a motion to adjourn? Deputy Mayor, I move that we adjourn. Second. All in favor of adjournment? Aye. 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 The meeting is adjourned at 9.15 p.m.